Welcome to another inspirational message from Chowdean Community Church, Gateshead. For more information about Chowdean, visit www.chowdean.org.uk. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you for Ruth. I thank you for her, her talents and her abilities and the way you're going to use them right now uh, as she shares your word with us this morning. Bless her, anoint her, keep her calm, let her know that you're here, and uh, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you hear me okay? Right. Um, I've got something to confess to you this morning. I have a guilty pleasure. Now, I'm sure you've all got guilty pleasures, but my particular guilty pleasure is Downton Abbey. Who else likes Downton Abbey? Do we have some friends? Brilliant. Fantastic. Now, for those of you who don't know much about Downton Abbey, it's something very, very similar, a series very similar to the old Upstairs, Downstairs that was a a drama in the 1970s, but it's miles better. It's the story of an aristocratic family and the servants who serve them downstairs. Um, And it's set in from about 1912 up to about 1926. It's over a period of about 15 years or so. And I think what I've really enjoyed, I mean, the series is finished now, is the fact that we've had windows into adventures and things that have happened in the family's life and in the servant's life. We've shared in romances, in births, in deaths, in marriages, of things going right and things going wrong, and had a real window into the journey that the families have, 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 have travelled. I don't think I've ever quite forgiven Julian Fellows, who actually writes down to Abbey for killing Matthew on Christmas Day. I mean, who does that? I mean, that just that was wrong, wasn't it? Now, over the past few weeks, I think we've had a very similar sort of journey. We've shared life's life with Elijah. We've shared the windows of his life, various things that have happened to him. And I've really enjoyed getting him to know him better. Have you guys enjoyed getting him to know him better? It's always interesting actually looking far more into depth, into a character. I've heard about Elijah in Sunday school, and I've heard about some of the stories, but it's really been in the last few weeks that I feel I've got a chance to really get to know him. And I think the thing that has struck me most is that Elijah was just an ordinary man. He was just an ordinary human being, just like you and just like me. But with God beside him and God behind him, he was able to achieve great and amazing things. However, just like you and me, Elijah had his off days. And despite all the amazing things that he had achieved, he still had times when he just wanted to hide away and feel sorry for himself. Let's just take a few minutes to recap on what's happened with Elijah as we've travelled along the journey. We've heard how he was fed by ravens, birds who would naturally have been very greedy and wouldn't have fed him, wouldn't have given him anything. We've heard how he was able to bring a child back to life from the dead. And whilst he was eating food that was miraculously provided by God out of a flour sack that was empty and a bottle 
that was running dry. He encouraged Obadiah to use his particular talents to serve God in quite an ingenious way. And he beat the odds at Mount Carmel by using his faith in a productive, positive and progressive way. Now, last week was a bit of a two-parter. We're having part two this week. Last week's episode of life was a to-be-continued at the end of it all. Now, in part one of the episode, we heard how he'd been fed and watered by an angel in the desert. And though he was down, he was certainly by no means out. You would have thought, well, I think anyway, that because of all the amazing things that had happened to him and the miracles he'd seen and what he'd been able to do, he would have been immune from all the day-to-day petty fears that bother you and me. But no, that's not the case. In part two of this episode, we meet Elijah when he's still scared and he's still feeling sorry for himself. Now, the account can be found in the Bible in 1 Kings 19, verses 9 to 15. If you've got your Bibles with you, by all means, follow along. If not, you can have a look on the screen behind me. So the story goes and continues like this. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very jealous zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Now, Having read the story, part one and part two, I suppose really we should cut Elijah some slack. When you think of everything that's happened to him, especially in part one of this episode, we've heard that Jezebel, who was by all accounts a pretty scary lady, had issued a death threat against him. She wanted vengeance on him in a big style, and she was going to get it. She was determined. Now, you probably remember John Bates mentioning a couple of Sundays ago that it was Jezebel's stated mission to bring the pagan religion to the land. And although Elijah's actions had seriously put a dent in that, her plans were by no means defeated at this point. It's no wonder, you know, that when he heard that death threat, Elijah up sticks and he scarpers. After dropping his servant off, he goes out into the wilderness, lays down under a bush, and basically says to God, that's it, 
I've had enough. I just want to die. He was not only scared, but he was tired, he was worn out, and he was fed up. Now, how many times do we feel like that? I think the wonder of this story is that each time Elijah felt so very, very low, God came alongside him in a loving and tender way. This was the mighty God who created heaven and earth. He could have been angry with Elijah for effectively answering back and feeling so fed up. After all the things he'd helped Elijah to do, and this is how Elijah talks to him, But this same God was there providing for him in a thoughtful but very necessary way, giving him food while he was in the desert. And yet, despite all of this, what happens in part two of the episode when he arrives at his destination in Mount Horeb? Instead of hiding under a bush, this time, just to add a bit of variety, he goes and crawls in a cave, and he starts to feel sorry for himself there. This time, when God asks him what he's doing, He replies in verse 10, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. It sounds like a complete whinge, doesn't it? He's really feeling sorry for himself. And you know, he doesn't just do it once, he does it twice. He does it again in verse 14. Elijah is sulking. And he's trying to justify his actions as to why he's hiding out. The thing that really struck me yet again was, wow, God's patient. God's loving. God is kind. He could have really lost it with Elijah, but he didn't. He accepted how bad Elijah was feeling. And there was this gentle question, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? It's such a gentle question, but such a gentle reproof at the same time. It's like he's stretching out his hand and saying to Elijah, but I am here. It's like a father or a mother coming alongside their child, putting their arm around them and asking them what's wrong, even though they know fine well all along what the matter is. In that question, what are you doing here? He's asking Elijah much more than just what's wrong. He's by default and in a very gentle way saying, what are you doing here? Are you in the right place? What are you doing here? Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? And God gives Elijah an instruction in verse 11. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. God was going to meet with Elijah. I wonder what Elijah thought. It's always a tricky thing meeting someone for the first time, but meeting God? Now, as part of my previous job, I used to run training courses on on customer service. Obviously, it's very important when you meet somebody and you're, you're giving them customer service, you're serving them, that you give a good impression Um, Part of the course that I used to run would involve looking at how people are perceived when we first meet them. Now, surprisingly, in the first seven seconds of meeting somebody for the first time, you will naturally make up to 13 or more assumptions about that person. In the first seven seconds, 
you can make up to 13 assumptions about them. Now, psychologists call it thin slicing. Between you and me, I am totally convinced my brain couldn't possibly work at that speed. There's no way I could think 13 things in seven seconds, have enough trouble thinking one thing. But apparently it's the case. Now, the things that people can make assumptions about are things about whether you're trustworthy, whether you're wealthy, whether you're smart, whether you're successful, whether you're professional, adventurous, aggressive, extrovert, or even religious. I wonder what Elijah thought God would be like. I think he probably thought the same perhaps you or I would have thought. He would have imagined some amazing, awesome, an all-powerful God. We're talking somebody who's created everything. He's going to be big. He's going to be amazing. And you know, I think God thought, you know, I'm going to play along with your assumptions. Because it says this, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Earthquakes, shattering boulders and fire. Have you any idea how scary that be? Things shaking, the noise, the fire. It's like God was saying, don't you put me into any of your man-made boxes. Don't you make assumptions about me. Don't you assume that I'm going to be like that. And instead, God reached out in a gentle quiet way, showing a tenderness and concern far greater than Elijah could have imagined, or quite frankly deserved, bearing in mind just how petulant he'd been. And it struck me that when we're reaching out to others, it doesn't have to be in the loud, showy ways. We can so often be taken in by large demonstrations, which are awesome to witness, but you know, the small ways are just as important and are very often far more meaningful as they're often done in secret. A gentle hug. The making of a shepherd's pie for somebody coming out of hospital. Offering to doing someone's hoovering for them because they've hurt their back. It can be the little and the small things just as much. Yes, the big things can be used by God, but so can the small things too. And it's about doing things with the right heart. We recently studied Micah, didn't we? And in chapter 6, verse 8, it says this. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This verse shows again, it's not all about the loud, showy things. But it's sometimes the faithful, quiet, and humble serving that God looks on and blesses. So what has this story got to teach us? Well, I think there's probably three things that we can learn from this story. One, God is a patient, loving God who, despite quite some provocation from Elijah, still dealt with him in a gentle and a loving way. He reminded him that he was still there for him. But... He still had a word. Now, when I was preparing this talk, I must admit I was having a bit of a rough day myself. I was a bit of having an Elijah moment. Um, it had all gone 
wrong, really, pretty much from the start of the day. Um, my delightful little dog, who some of you know, called Molly, decided um, the red mist descended upon her eyes because if she hears or sees rabbits, that's it. She just goes off. And she'd spent a clear 20 minutes down a rabbit hole. It was windy, it was wet, and I was yelling at the top of my voice for her to come out. She didn't do any of that. And when she did come out, she had this delightful, I love chasing rabbits, look on her face. I was not amused. I was cold, I was wet, and I really wasn't feeling particularly well. And the day continued in much the same vein, with every little annoying thing that could happen and did happen. Do you have days like that? And by the end of it, I had a sore back, a chronic headache, and all I really wanted to do was sit in the corner with a big bar of chocolate and have a really good howl. I didn't do it, tempted, but I didn't do it. Instead, I actually thought, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to look at Elijah. And I started looking at Elijah, and you know, it really struck me just how like him we really are. And if God can stretch out to him and reach him and meet him when he's feeling so low, he will do just the same for us. Jesus says in Matthew 28, for I am with you always. The second thing I think this can teach us is that reaching out to Elijah, God wasn't in the loud showy things, but he was in the gentle whisper. Some versions call it a still, small voice. It's the one I know, still small voice. It's found in verse 12. The Hebrew literally says, the voice of a faint whisper. It's important, though, that we remember that whilst God was reaching out, Elijah still had to listen. Elijah still had to listen. In Psalm 4, verse 4, it says, Be still, be silent. Be still, be silent. I think that this shows that God's voice is often ultimately heard not in the miraculous and the tremendous, but in his quiet appeal to the conscience. And we have to have hearts ready to listen. We have to be prepared to be still, be silent, and listen. And the third thing I think it, need, it teaches us is that we should be reaching out to others in just the same way that God reached out to Elijah. There are many people, both inside our church and outside of it, who need a loving hand, who we need to reach out to, who we need to stretch out to. We need to show God's love in practical ways so that people begin to ask what is different about us and seek God as a result. It's our responsibility to tell others of Jesus and what he did for us. God was sympathetic to Elijah, you know. He understood everything, but he still had a job for Elijah to do, and he expected Elijah to do it. In verse 15, he clearly said, Go back the way you came and anoint Hazel king over Aram. He had a job for Elijah to do, he still has a job for us to do. And that's to tell everybody of Jesus' great love and to show Jesus' great love. As God reached out and met with Elijah and gave him a second chance, 
we too have to do the same thing. Now, you're probably wondering why I've got an empty Weetabix box on here. I see immediately Pete put his head in his hands and go, oh no, she's going to tell everybody. Yes, I am. Um, at Christmas, I love Christmas, and I love Christmas games. I am a true and utter embarrassment to my whole family. And I'm not even going to look in that direction at the moment because they're probably all putting their head in their hands. But I'm going to tell you about something we play at Christmas, and it's called the Christmas cardboard game. Uh, you have to do it before you've had your Christmas dinner. Big hint there. Uh, and what you have to do is you have your cardboard box and you put it down on the floor and then you have to pick it up with your mouth. But you can't put your hands anywhere near it. You have to put them behind your back. And you can't put your knees on the floor either. So it involves bending down and picking it up. Well, I mean, that's not difficult, is it? It is when you keep cutting it down with a pair of scissors till it gets lower and lower, and lower. And Hannah is our resident champion. My daughter Hannah can do this when it is just a thin slice of cardboard on the floor. She has a dexterity that is unbelievable. Now, I have to say, I did a really good job this year, and I got it down when it was actually only a centimetre off the floor. But I tell you what, I was determined last year that Hannah was not going to be the champion. I was going to win. I'm very, very... Um, keen on winning things. I don't like to be beaten. And this year, I was going to win. <laughs> I was going to win. And we got it down to that much. And then the time come for it to be just a single thing of cardboard. So, right, I took it in my hands. Yes, I was going to do that. I stretched, I limbered up. I did all the things I needed to do. And I was so nearly there. And then, oh, something went. Something popped in places it shouldn't have popped, and I had to retire from the, from the action. And needless to say, Hannah is still the reigning champion. But all I'm going to say is this year, just watch out. I'm going to win this year. I'm, I'm going to practice. But, you know, this game requires two things. It required determination, and it required persistence. And in just the same way, when we're reaching out, when we're stretching out to others... We need to be determined, and we need to be persistent. And sometimes, you know, that's not easy to keep on being determined, to keep on being persistent. And you know what? You have to be prepared for it to be painful, too. It's hard sometimes to keep going. But we must remember that this is what God has told us to do. It isn't an option. It's not a, well, if you fancy doing it. No, this is a, you have been commanded to do. God didn't give up on Elijah. And we shouldn't give up on those that we're reaching out to. Even if we're feeling rough. Even if we're feeling like Elijah did. Just as God came alongside Elijah and said, what are you doing here? He comes alongside each of us and says, what are you doing here? God is a God of second chances, and we have to work for him to show others. Now, a song that I recently heard struck home with me, and if I'm able to do the technology, I'll actually put it on our Facebook page later. It's a song that's written as if Jesus is singing it, and he's singing it to us. And it asks some very probing questions about whether we are serving God, but it also 
recognizes the fact that sometimes life's tough. Life is when you just want to curl up in a corner and say, nope, I don't want to do this anymore. The song goes like this. Hello, my good friend. How have you been doing since I've been gone? Have you shared the love I gave you? Have you shown the world the truth of who I am? So let your love be true till I come back to you. And what kind of friend would I be if I didn't tell you honestly? Even though you have let me down, I will still love you faithfully. And even in your darkest hour, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Hello, my good friend. I want to let you know I'll be back soon. So share the love I gave you and tell the world the truth of who I am. And let your love stay true because I'm coming back for you. Now, I think this song so completely encompasses everything we've learned about this particular episode in Elijah's life. Even though he understands when we get down and weary, even though he understands everything we're feeling, he still wants us to do a job for him. In fact, he commands us to do a job for him. And just as he told Elijah to get up and do something, he's telling us to do exactly the same thing. It says Matthew 28, in, 19, in verses 19 and 20. He tells us what he wants us to do. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So I ask, as I ask Paul to come back up, I would leave you with this challenge. Even though you might be feeling lost, you might be feeling just like Elijah did, don't give up, don't despair. You have a job to do. So do the job that God has asked you to do. Shall we just commit it to God in prayer? Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that we have your word to look at. Thank you that you are there for us, even though we're feeling sad and lonely and down. Lord, help us to remember you have a job for us. Help us to do that job. Give us strength to do it. Give us wisdom to do it. And help us to focus on what you want us to do. But still be with us, Lord. We thank you that you are a God of second chances. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This is the end of this message. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about our church, please visit www.chowdean.org.uk and please take a minute to rate our podcast on iTunes. 